welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. God's Word, um, just an absolutely amazing character, one of the greatest, greatest men, examples of faith in the history of, of our world, and that person's name is Job. And today, um, dads make a difference. Dads make a difference. Our text is found in Job chapter 1, verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. We salute and recognize and honor dads. They make such a difference. Our culture seems to place little value on the role of fathers. Evidence of this is everywhere, from pop, pop culture and media to government policy. Watch TV programs, how often our dads portrayed as the buffoons. But we live by God's word. We live by God's word as followers of Jesus Christ. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And we might live in this world, but we are not of this world. This fleeting, turning, twisting, ever-changing, ever-selling out for a vote. We don't live as part of that world or as a part, but we live on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. And God's Word says something differently. Dads make a difference. The main point that I want to share with you today is that godly dads give their children the best chance to live a life blessed by God and to have their families blessed by the Lord. Now, I recognize that not everyone has had the best experience with their father, but I also must recognize and I declare, based on God's word, that Paul said that whoever believeth on the Son has received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He is a good, good Father. And God knows how to redeem everything that's happened in our past. Can someone say amen? Praise God. I want to share with you, uh, I happen to like research. I enjoy conversations and back and forth. But if you're going to take a stand, it's really good to know that, you take, that we take a stand on God's Word and also that there is research rather than just, well, I think. Uh, ultimately, you know, <laughs> what's it matter what you think if there's no basis for it? But let me share a few things about God's from, uh, I think, good research. The first is, is this, that from the University of Pennsylvania, research that was done indicates that children who feel a closeness 
and warmth with their father as twice as likely to enter college, 75% less likely to have a child in their teen years, 80% less likely to be incarcerated, and half as likely to show various signs of depression. Uh, those, uh, how, many, how many do we have uh, here from New Jersey? How many New Jerseyites? Yes. Yeah, all right. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's applaud them. I mean, where would Grace be without those, our friends from New Jersey? All right. But this is from Rutgers University. Can I hear it for Rutgers? Anyone? Yeah. Oh, that's really weak. Okay. No wonder God sent you to Maryland to sort of, you know, associate you with, all right, we're going to move on. But fathers, this is what the research says by Dr. David Papineau, professor of sociology at Rutgers University. Fathers are far more than just second adults in the home. Involved fathers, especially biological fathers, bring positive benefits to their children that no other person is as likely to bring. They provide protection and economic support and male role models. They have a parenting style that is significantly different, just hear that, a significantly different from a mother, and that difference is important in healthy child development. Men and women, it's on as are different. As a result, mothers and fathers parent their children differently. Dads, for instance, love their children more dangerously. Guys, can I hear a hear, hear? They love them more dangerously. That's because they play rougher and are more likely to encourage risk-taking. They provide kids with a broader diversity of social experiences they also introduce them to a wider variety of methods of dealing with life. They tend to stress rules. This is how dads, dads tend to. And understand these are tendencies. It's not true of everybody. But they tend to stress rules, justice, fairness, and duty and discipline. In this way, they teach children the objectivity and consequences of right and wrong. It is innate in good fathers to try to prepare their kids for the reality of this world. It, it, it's just the way it is. And so sometimes what a mom will think is harsh, a guy just, just trying to get them ready, you know, and for the realities of this world. And so it, it will become about rules and doing the right thing and doing your best. They, they also demonstrate, by example, the meaning of respect between the sexes. In connection with this last point, research indicates that a married father is substantially less likely to abuse his wife or children than men in any other category. What that says is that it doesn't say that men do not abuse their wife or children when they're married, but it says that married men are far less likely to abuse the woman they cohabit with and have children with. How, how many hear what I'm saying? It says fathers encourage competition, engendering independence. However, mothers promote equity, creating a sense of security. Dads emphasize conceptual communication, which helps kids expand their vocabulary 
and intellectual capacities. Moms major in sympathy, care, and help, thus demonstrating the importance of relationships. And I've noticed this whenever, ever since I was in high school, that when guys talk with each other, they tend to stand in circles. Has anyone ever seen that? Anyone ever see guys stand in circles? And they tell stories to top each other. They're called spitting contests. Man, did you see? Yeah, but, you know, uh, if I did something that was really big, someone else has another story. Not necessarily saying, I'm better than you, but they're just, we like to just amp it up. When is the last time that you've seen women or daughters or females if you've standed them standing in a circle with their hands on their hip in a spitting contest. They will sit together. They will empathize with each other. They can have conversations. Oh, oh, oh my Lord. Did he really do that to you? You know, guys are saying, well, if that was me, I'd show them this is what I would do. It's just, there's a difference that is there. Dads tend to see their child in relationship to the rest of the world and try to prepare them for what the world might do to them. Moms tend to see the rest of the world in relationship to their child. So that there's always empathy here. If you fall down and there's a boo-boo, you can run to mommy and she'll say, oh, oh Johnny, let mommy kiss your boo-boo. Is that true or not? Yeah, thank God for it. Well, you just don't want someone, though, when they're 35 and they get knocked around in life, going home to mommy, kiss my boo-boo. You know what I'm saying. So, Neither style of parenting is adequate in and of itself, but taken together, they balance each other out and equip the up-and-coming generation with a healthy, well-rounded approach to life. It's really something this, um, we, we've been helping my parents who, uh, who will turn 89 at the end of this summer, transition from one household to another and helping them get their one house ready. And this, this is crazy. This is crazy. My dad is 88, and, and he was 22 when I was born, so that'll give you my math if you can do numbers at all. And I'm on a ladder doing something that he can't do right now and he's telling me and correcting it how to do it. No, no, that's wrong. That's not how you do it. And I'm feeling like I'm 12 years old again, you know? I mean, you talk about the influence that dads can have under kids. It's real and it's powerful. But there's five things that dads can do to make a difference. Number one is show up. Number one, number two is listen first rather than jumping in and always having to be right. Be tender. Be intentional with what you know is right in your family, and then be present. Put away that cell phone. Go to the games with your kids. Be there. Be the presence. Just like our Heavenly Father, omnipresent, everywhere, all the time. It really makes a difference. Job, Job was one of the wealthiest men in the world, the book of Job, by the way, is the oldest book in all the Bible. The oldest book of the Bible, yeah. Genesis was written after Job. Uh, and how many know there are no eyewitness accounts in Genesis? <laughs> oh, 
Adam didn't write about his own. He wasn't there. He was there when he was created, but he was being created, so he, you know, anyway, okay, we're going to move on. But we want to see how Job, this righteous man, have you considered Job? He's blameless in all of his ways. What Job did and how God blessed him and his family because of that. The first thing this morning is Job 1.5. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them. That was his family. Rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. He was spiritually involved in the life of his family. spiritually involved. He was intentional. He didn't leave it up to them. He didn't drop them off at the front door and speed away. He was intentional. It's interesting that in, in Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 5 has to do with family relationships and Husbands are told to love their wives, love them like Christ loved the church, and wives are instructed to respect their husbands because the, an easy, easy thing to fall into is for men, once they have won the heart of their wife, is to take them for granted and forget to be tender and love them. And an easy thing for our wives to do, and living with myself, I can understand that, is to lose respect, although Chris is not, because we can aggravate and irritate the daylights out of our wives. Come on, wives, you can say amen, all right. And lose respect. So Paul says, respect your husbands. And then he said, children, obey your father and honor them because this is right in the Lord so that God can bless you and you live a long life in the land. But he connects that and he finishes that and he goes right into in chapter 6 about spiritual warfare. We can pray, we can do everything that we should do, but it all begins at home. That's where the real proof in the pudding is. And so Job Job stood in the gap for them. What happened in that ancient Near East culture, when, when, that, when the book was written, that there were feasts that they would hold somewhere to, to sacrifice and, and, and religious observances. Others were to celebrate the harvest. But they had feasts that would go on. And, there was the, and quite frankly, feasts that go on for days could get out of hand and carried away. And Job continually... He was like the good shepherd watching out for his family and he would come and consecrate them to the Lord afterwards in case they had slipped away and they'd sinned against God. He was involved and responsible for his family. He pointed them to God. Job chapter 1 verse 20 and 21 and, and, and reports kept coming that his he was his that his family was lost and his wealth was losing. And then it says, And Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. 
but blessed be the name of the Lord forever. Praise his name. And I really, I've thought about this. You know, I've thought about funerals and all of that and what mine's going to look like. I think I want the song, song uh, he gives and takes away. He gives and takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be his holy name. He pointed them to the Lord. There's three things, dads, that we can do. We can give the gift of faith. We can give the gift of time. And we can give the gift of love. Be spiritually involved in your family. They will one day rise up and call you blessed. What you do really matters right now. It's planting seeds of faith in their heart. Point them toward the Lord. The second thing is he consistently modeled faith and trust in God. He consistently modeled it, faith and trust in God. His faith and trust in God was really a big deal. And by the way, they had no churches. They had no scripture. That shows the reality of God. And we can trust God. Because trust in him is eternal. It's bedrock and it's solid. And so what happened? <clears throat> he lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost his family. And it was in the middle of these great trials that he was faithful to family, to friends, and to the spiritual enemy. God's word uh, paints a picture of this, that he came down with some sort of a disease. It was like boils and and he went and had to sit outside of the city where just prior to this, Job was so well-known, so powerful, so wealthy that when he walked in the gates of the city, all the young men and others would not only honor him, then they just stepped back. Now he finds himself outside the city. He's sitting in the dust. He's scraping the boils with pieces of broken pottery. His friends come. To comfort him, it said that they came because he was in such anguish, and they came to comfort him. But Job sat there for a full week and didn't say a word. Can you imagine visiting someone in the hospital that could speak and they didn't say a word, didn't acknowledge your presence? So then they tried to make sense out of the situation. And they said some good things. But the longer they talked, the worse it got. How many have ever had friends like that? The more they talked, the worse it got. And basically the summary of what they said was this. God doesn't, God's a good God, therefore God does not do bad things to good people. If God is doing bad things to you, you must be a bad person. That's what they were saying to him. And in Job chapter 19, and so... There's 30-some there's chapters of this in the book of Job, just back and forth, back and forth. And Job said these words in 1925. He said, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth, and even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. I'm going to see God. No matter what happens, No matter whether life turns out the way that I want it to turn out or not, I'm going to see God. 
fact, Hebrews chapter 11 says this in the Hall of Fame of Faith. It says, And all these people of whom the world was not counted worthy died in their faith, never having received from God what God promised. That's bedrock faith. I'm going to see God. How about you? I'm going to see God. Amen. I am going to see God with my eyes and not another. This life is too important. What God has done is too important. I'm not going to risk it that I can do it on my own and hope to see him or say, well, that's not really, that doesn't count. No, I'm not gambling on that. Amen. I'm going to see God myself. And so, Job chapter 31, and I'll read uh, uh, chapter 2 and 10 and then 31, 1. It said, uh, uh, let me back up. Um, He was a good father whose faith provided security, courage, and a way forward. And what came to my mind was Romans chapter 8, verse number 15. And I referenced it earlier. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit that a father has transfers to his family. It transfers. It influences. But Paul said, When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's a transfer of our Heavenly Father's Spirit called the Spirit of Adoption that leads us not into slavery but into freedom, the glorious freedom of the sons of God. And we cry, we say out to our Heavenly Father, Abba, Father. You say, well, Pastor, what's so big deal about this? Here's the big deal. Before Jesus Christ, before Jesus Christ, In the Hebrew and in Jewish culture and tradition, the father was never referred to as Abba, which is daddy or familiar term. It was always the father. But when Jesus said, I'm going to teach you how to pray, he said, our father, Abba, daddy, father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The spirit of God transfers And that spirit adopts us into the family with security and safety and hope and forgiveness and it enables us to say and approach our father and we call him daddy father. Can someone say praise God? Yes. And so for the first time in history it was used by Jesus and then it found its way into the worship of the early church. And I'm glad to say that because of the word of God today, when we go to God, he's not some big, mean God that's looking to bat us around or he's not, he's not even, he's not even saying, no, that's not the right way to do it. It's daddy, father, full of grace. His son was mercy and truth. And we come to him to find mercy and truth and grace in the time of our need. Praise God. And the good news is, is that's for everyone today. Whoever calls on him, whoever calls on him, believes on him and confesses that Jesus Christ is is the Lord, we receive the spirit of adoption. I want to tell you how important this is. And and, uh, and 
I met, I met my wife at Southeastern University. I didn't know the backstory. I just, I just know, holy mackerel, five foot two, eyes of blue, you know, and just this perky, good athlete. And, and she played, uh, 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 the, played football on the, uh, they, the girls had a tag, tag football, you know. And, man, she got that ball. She just gritted her teeth, and she was fast and quick. And, and I said, oh, my goodness, she moves like a tiger, you know. And, and I just wanted to... And, and she took the tickets in the lunch line, so I'm burning through my tickets. I mean, just, how you doing, you know? And one thing led to another, and, and uh, we got married our last year of school. And if I had to do it all over again, I'd get married my last year of school. It was just, I was glad to trade my roommate in, those gnarly guys for a wife. I, that was just wonderful, you know? So, but I didn't know the backstory. The backstory for her to go to Southeastern University, she had to run away from home. No one left her home. You didn't do that as an adult. They were, they were German immigrants from World War II. Her dad fought on the German side. And, and uh, a month or so ago, we were in the mountains of North Carolina and just reminiscing with her family, some of her siblings, about some of the things in the past, and wow, I, some of the things I hadn't heard before. But Chris had to run away, and my understanding is your dad was right behind you. He was hot. No, no one's going to disobey him. They're not, and he's hot. And then the vice president, is that right, sort of interfere, intervened, you know, and, and so away she went. And, and, uh, but I didn't, I didn't know this, and this is what I'm getting at, this spirit of adoption, how God redeems things is that, Chris later on would tell me that when she was about 12 years old, her, her family moved frequently. And if you're the middle daughter in a German immigrant family, in a family of seven, that's, your status is not that high. And so guess who would pick up her brother's socks? Guess who? It's just the way it was. She was there with her dad, and she loved her dad. She was there when he passed away, but there was a lot of things that weren't right. And, and uh, he, later on, he gave his life to the Lord. And what, what a testimony. The guy was in, he was just quite a testimony. But she told me that she was 12, and in the middle of the night, her family moved, but they left her behind from Florida to New York. They didn't tell her they were moving, she woke up the next morning and she was in her oldest sister's house because there's no room for her. Now you tell me what that does to a kid. So it was just something. But it's also when she was 12 or so in upstate New York, then she found her way up there and she found Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior in the Little Assembly of God Church. And there are families that loved her and families that took her in and there was spiritual moms and spiritual grandmoms and there were Sunday dads and Wednesday night dads and, and she was baptized in the Spirit and she found her way into Southeastern University and she worked her way. She became the first female valedictorian in the history of Southeastern University and she married me. And one of the profs, he really liked her. I mean, you know, I mean, she, 
good golly, Ned, she caught my eye. I wasn't surprised, you know, but when you're that bright, you know what I'm saying. And he said to her, now, Chrissy, uh, you know, I don't know. I think you can do a whole lot better than him. He's not going to do anything in ministry. So I married up. That's all I can say. All right. But when the Lord came and saved her, he gave to her a spirit of adoption, of security and peace and a home and did something in her life. And that spirit of adoption that we have when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior transfers to us. And dads, I want to encourage you, we can pass on that spirit of adoption, if you would, where there's security and peace, and we point our children to the Lord and that he's a good, good father. Praise his name. Amen. Job guarded his integrity. The second chapter, verses 3 and 4. The Lord said to Satan, this is the second time the devil came. How many know he doesn't give up? He doesn't give up. So he came to him and said, have you considered my servant Job? Again, for there's no one like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although... You have incited me against him to ruin him without cause. I don't understand all this, but Satan answered and said to the Lord, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. And what, what impudent, arrogant, boastful, prideful Satan had the gall to say to God, the creator of his universe, and that he was even allowed into his presence is a mystery he had to say in so many words, God, you're a dupe. Do you know why people trust you and why they worship you? It's because you've blessed their life. If you take that away, they'll all run just as quickly as they can. That tells us what the enemy of our soul thinks of God it tells us what he thinks of your faith in Jesus Christ. He thinks God is a fool, the ultimate fool. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? He's not lost his integrity. And God allowed him in his providence, in his foreknowledge, he said to Satan, you can afflict him, you can do with him what he want, you can take away what you want, accept his life. And God believed in the integrity of Job. And the enemy went to work. So in the face of the loss of health and wealth and betrayal of severe depression and humiliation, and he even had a wife that said, curse God and die. God's word says in Job 2.10 that Job said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In the 31st chapter of Job and I encourage you to read it later. This Job, Job, it, it's astounding. But he did not exploit other people 
or situations. He did not sin with his lips, nor did he sin sexually. He wouldn't blame God. He wouldn't exploit women. In spite of his power, his wealth, his notoriety, he was not like so many men that have found themselves in positions of power that they can extort sexual favors from women so that they will in turn do something for them. He wouldn't do it. And he said there's two things that in chapter 31 that I've never saw and I, in, in all the times that I've read the book of Job. He said, I would not let my heart follow my eyes. Now, let, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I, I heard Dr. James Dobson say, say this. Um, God has, men are wired to initiate and to initiate procreation. And men engage habitually. They do it instinctively. They, it's like they can't help. They're, ch they're checking people out. That's all there is to it. They walk down the sidewalk, and there's a woman that comes. They're just checking her out. That's your eyes. That's your eyes. So I, I heard a man say, <laughs> I thought he said, when I was 15, every girl was 15, was, I, I, they looked attractive to me. So when I was 50, every female, 50 and under, they caught my eye. He said, now I'm 85 and the same thing is true. Everyone looks attractive to me. You're supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> but Job said, I didn't let my heart follow my eyes. And that's the difference. We might be wired we might be wired like this, but it's what we do with our heart that matters. And he said, I didn't do that. They came to him, you know, his friends, they, and he, he was defending himself. He said, I didn't exploit the widow, the orphan, or children. He said, I didn't ex exploit slaves that are made in God's image. God's image. And this is what he said about those Servants and slaves, those are way beneath him on the socioeconomic ladder. Job says this, because God formed them in their mother's womb, just like he made me in my mother's womb. And I, I want everyone to hear us this morning. It's really, it's really important as the people of God that we see everyone made in the image of God that we don't, based on people's differences or ethnicities, talk down or negatively. Grace is blessed with a, a number of ethnicities in the church. In fact, by the way, the Assemblies of God now, the Assemblies of God is growing worldwide and Assemblies of God is growing in the United States. And one of the primary reasons is because, because of the open embrace of and welcome arms of people that are not white. I, I just want you to hear that. 
now constituency-wise, over 3 million people in the United States, 44% are now made of, uh, uh, are comprised of ethnicities other than being uh, white uh, Caucasian. Can someone say praise God? Praise God. Yes. Other churches can preach inclusion. They can do all that. But unless it's practiced and worked out, it just is not going to happen. So I, I'm going to say I'm going to say something right now. Uh, first of all, I don't know where Grace would be. I don't know where we'd be without the large number of ethnicities in our church. I don't know where Grace would be, and specifically, I'm going to talk about Hispanics right now. It is wrong to be a follower of Jesus Christ and refer to whole races in a specific way or to speak about Latinos and Latinas with the word Mexicans. Is there an amen anywhere? It is wrong. Job said, how can I exploit the slaves when even they have been formed in their mother's womb by God just like myself. We all have one father. Okay, I'm going to move on from that. No one's shouting it, running the aisles because of it. But it's pretty deep and very important. He did not trust or rejoice in his own riches. And this is the second thing that said he didn't kiss his own hand. Kiss his own hand meant, in that day, if someone kissed your hand, that, that was a sign of respect and honor. He didn't pat himself on the back. He didn't go around like this, say, look what I've done. Look how much I make. Look at me. Look at me. And he didn't scheme against, he said, and I've not schemed against or even rejoiced in my enemies ruined. But, and then he ends up chapter 31 like this. He said, and I have not compromised. I have not compromised regardless of what those around wanted me to do. Can someone say amen? Praise God. God blesses that. So the fourth thing I want to share with you is that he reaped God's restoration and increase. And I want to encourage us as parents, as dads, as moms, that God is with you, regardless of what situation you find yourself in, hold fast to God, and God will show up. God will show up. God will show up. And it was said of Job, it said, and the Lord restored. How many thank God for a God of restoration? I went to the enemy's camp and I took back I took back what was stolen from me, my peace, my health, my comfort. I took it back in the strong name of Jesus, Jesus Christ. God, our Heavenly Father, is a God of restoration and increase. Job, he said that he increased all that Job had twofold. And then verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. 
and he had 14,000 sheep. Now, th this is God's blessing. How many would like 14,000 sheep? 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. You talk about blessing. I mean, that's a blessing. But it said then, the last, in the last verse of chapter 31, it said, and, or 42, and Job died in an old age full of days and in peace. And the promise of the Lord to you and to me and specifically to dads today, that godly dads make a difference. Godly dads make a difference. And if we will serve God, with the end in view, knowing that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, I may not see everything that God promised, but one day I'm going to see my Redeemer. I'm going to stand and face to face and look him in the eye and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the promise to the righteous. That's the promise to the spirit of adoption. I long to see God, but God longs to see us, to be reunited with us. God vindicated Job and rewarded him for his unyielding trust in God. Praise his name. Amen. I want to encourage you today that we all can, we all can, be involved in our families spiritually. We all can consistently model faith, and trust in the Lord. That we can have the Spirit of God come and change us, that spirit of adoption to come from, enter into His family. We all can walk in integrity. And we all, we all will reap because it's the law of the harvest we can have a bountiful harvest because we've reaped to the Lord and to the Spirit. Praise His name. Amen. God is so good, isn't He? God is so good. I'll just tell you this. Uh, last night, uh, so we did the Dad's Day thing uh, last night. Um, we, we have daughters in the area and there's other fathers and, you know, things like that and, and uh so we, we did it last night, and I mean, it, was, it was really was wonderful. Um, uh, no, no counting calories. My wife made potato salad with mayonnaise. I said, look, all I want, just give me this bowl of potato salad. Let me get down in that basement, that clubbed-out room. Let me turn on the TV or listen to music in the dark and just let me eat the whole bowl all by myself. <laughs> and they cooked it. I didn't, they, I didn't even do the grilling. And uh, <laughs> we, we've had our share. We've had our share um, of blessings and some disappointments in life and some hard knocks in life that, some of it, I think, are the attacks of the enemy. Some of it is because we're following the Lord in ministry and things that, you know. But uh, we've, we've attempted to be faithful to the Lord and walk in integrity and live it out because we're going to see him one day. And uh, I've lived 66-some years, 
and I can keep on living this way till I see him face to face. I'm not saying that to the enemy of my soul, so he'll bring another. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying I know my Redeemer lives. We've proved it, and I'm going to see him one, one day, and we just live one day at a time. If I can get through this day, and God is faithful this day, he's faithful the next day. We're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep serving the Lord. We're going to keep going for it, being steadfast and unmovable. But last night, so we had two of our grandsons there, little Isaiah's two and a half and John is 12. And so then Isaiah said, hammock, hammock. You want to get down the hammock? We have it down there. And I went, I went down and they brought, we have a double-decker hammock, one that we bought and one that our grandson John bought that's above it. So... I'm laying in the hammock, and it, how many know it was really a nice night last night? And I'm laying there. They brought Isaiah down, and he just thought it was the funniest thing. He's on the one up above, and he had it wrapped around him like that, and he'd peek his head over, and I'd go, I hear somebody here, and he'd poke his head, you know, then he'd giggle and go back in. And then, then it was time to go, and it did my heart good. He pitched a fit because they had to leave. I just thought that was wonderful. <laughs> it's the joy of granddaddy. And uh, so then John came, and John jumped in there, and John's talking with me. And I, I just have to say this, that I was enjoying the peace of my family being together and the presence of God all rolled in one. And John's talking to me. He's all wrapped up in that one above me, and he's talking. I'd see his head poke out. Papa, what about this? What about that? And you know what? I fell right asleep in the hammock. And he left. I don't blame him. I woke up and he wasn't there anymore. But there's a lot of ways that wealth can be measured. And I'm so grateful to the Lord that I can serve God. How about that? And model it for my family. And all I say, God, give me the grace and the strength and the resolve. Lord, just help me do it one day at a time. Praise God. Amen. And I'm going to see him one day. I'm going to see the Lord one day. And you are going to reap restoration. God's going to break through. God is going to break through on your behalf. Praise his name. Amen. Praise God. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' strong name, we love you. From the bottom of our heart, we thank you that you are a good, good father. We thank you, Lord, that though the enemy has plans against us, that no weapon formed against us by the enemy of our life will prosper when we're in the Father's hands. I thank you, Father, that the invitation is open to everyone here today that we can come, place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and come into the family of God. And Lord, regardless of our experiences with our own Father, Lord, when we receive that spirit of adoption, you make all things new. You give us hope and security, and you say, come to me. I want to be with you. And Lord, you pour your grace, your grace, your mercy and truth in our life, and we love you for it. We thank you for it. I pray a blessing upon all the dads today. I pray a blessing upon all the biological dads, but also... Lord, about so many that are here that are not yet biological dads or they will not be biological dads because of no choice of their own. 
Lord, but I bless them in the strong name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we will experience your blessing, your restoration. And Lord, that we, that we, that we will live in peace and know that the Lord is with us. I pray for all the moms of those that are here and Lord, that today would be the day of salvation, that we would come to you, Lord, and receive the spirit of adoption so our heart can cry, Abba, Father, you're a good, good father. In Jesus' name I pray these things, amen.